0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. Jeff Kanata, And joining us today, he is the man who played Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day, Sammy Jankis in Memento, Stewbags in Californication, and also Dr. Leslie Berkowitz in One Day at a Time, which is airing right now on CBS, I should point out. Stephen Tobolowski, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Stephen, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fine, David. It's been a while since I've been in the
2: hot seat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we kept it warm for you, though. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Stephen, I, I, I'm curious. I, I, we haven't heard. I maybe you have talked to Dave on other podcasts, but I, how is the quarantine situation treating you?
1: Oh, it's 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 ghastly. It's terrible. Uh, We're hallucinating where I went to a doctor's appointment the other day and the nurse, you, you know, and you have to go in with social distancing and masks and all this. And she asked, like, have you been drinking anything? <laughs> and I stared at her. I did one of those. What? She says, are you drinking alcohol? I said, often. And I start early. What are you talking about? Everybody drinks alcohol now. It, it's. It, it is not a joke, and I guess I'm lucky in that I have a couple pursuits I can do besides acting like either writing or doing the podcast or meeting with you gents here, but it, it has really driven home what social creatures we are, not just yeah. in terms of schmoozing, but in terms of seeing our reflection in other people's eyes. It is tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, uh Stephen, we welcome you to the Slash Filmcast, this is a place where you can uh get that socializing going uh and we're grateful to have you here. Of course, Stephen also uh is uh one of the hosts. I would dare say the primary contributor of the podcast that I uh create <laughs> with him called the
1: Tobolowski Files. And um, so I, happy I that it's back. I, yeah, Oh my you. gosh. I, I, yeah, I do a fair piece of work on that, David. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you've been known to occasionally contribute to that show. Um, Just a bit, just a bit, yeah. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit more about that during our weekly plugs segment. But before we get to that, um, we got to say that today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing some film news, moving on into some what we've been watching. Then we got our weekly plugs, and we're concluding with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be discussing the film Dick Johnson is Dead, which is available right now on Netflix. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking right now, David, last week at the end of the podcast, you said you'd be reviewing Enola Homes, which is on Netflix.
3: This is our new and, thing. And you know? This is, okay. So let me yeah. just
0: say, for real, I actually feel legit <laughs> bad about this, and <laughs> I like you next should. week we're gonna say what we're gonna review next week, and then we're definitely gonna review. It. But we're definitely there's gonna two, do it. There's two yeah. reasons why we change. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Dave.
2: There's two. There's two- <laughs> There's, there's two, two reasons. reasons. One two is reasons. we got a single tweet from one person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean that's that is true. That is true. We did get a single tweet from one person suggesting that we watch Dick Johnson Uh I mean, th- there's really two reasons. Number one, I, I think that uh, Davinder Hardwar put it well on Twitter when he said that. Um, it's actually really hard these days to keep track of what's coming out, uh, on video on demand. And like, I, it's not like I, I, make a good faith effort, you know, to, to look up what is coming out on video on demand. Uh, I like, you know, I'll go to sites and see like what's coming out, but like even sometimes you don't even know what's going to be a big deal until it comes out. Right. Um, nobody knew tiger King would be the thing that everyone was talking about until it came. Like if you saw the tiger King, like a month before on the Netflix release list, you wouldn't be like, Oh, Okay, maybe that'll be interesting. Right, like right. you know, but like then it dominated our culture for like a month. Um, documentaries do you about still.
2: I think that yeah. people are still sending him letters in jail, or do you think they've also lost interest in the Tiger King?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's still documentaries coming about it to this day. To this day, yeah. um, but anyway, uh, so, so in the in the old days, in the pre-COVID days, is pretty simple. You just look out. Look, we would just look up what is coming out in theaters every week right and then you know jeff DeVinger and i would like look up like oh is it playing near you if it's limited release is it playing near you that is like the hardest thing like the hardest decision (laughs) we had to make was like oh are we sure we're going to be able to buy tickets on fandango in time so Um, so what
3: you're saying is our show depended on a functioning civilization (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's correct a pesky civilization collapse yeah. that's the problem
0: that's there's your problem there's your problem so anyway yeah and so you know uh i will try to like look up like what's coming out on hulu what's coming out on prime video what's coming out on netflix all these things and then sometimes we miss the mark okay so that's one reason is just like uh i had read so many amazing things about dick johnson is dead yeah we had yeah, the opportunity yeah. to get Stephen Tobolowsky on the show and i thought he'd have interesting reflections on it and so That's why we changed it. But the second reason we changed it is because of something that Jeff Kanata said to me, (laughs) which is last Thursday night uh, or early Friday morning news broke that the president of the United States had contracted COVID-19, which was a major, major news story. It, it, It eclipsed every other news story you could possibly think of. And Jeff texted me, he says, well, I, I guess
2: I'm not going to finish watching Enola Holmes anymore. And, <laughs> yeah, and then, the news broke when I was 40 minutes into Enola Holmes. You know, I'm not going to
3: second or third time, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, it was the second time I've tried to watch that movie. That, it occurs to me that uh, Enola Holmes is like that, that Saturday Night Live sketch where they constantly bump that, the guest and he never gets on, you know, that, that old uh, uh, Keenan. Keenan Thompson sketch where they have a talk show and the guest is, he's like, oh, sorry, we had to bump him again. I feel like that's Enola Holmes to us. It's like, <laughs> we just keep saying we're going to review Enola Holmes and never do it. It's for sure.
3: It's a very <laughs> fine movie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then I tweeted about the president contracting COVID 19. And then, you know, Jeff said, I was in the middle. Jeff responded in a tweet, I was in the middle of watching Enola Holmes, Dave. Enola Holmes. <laughs> and I couldn't shake the fact that I couldn't shake that tweet. It haunted me. It haunted me. Uh, and th- that regardless of whether we ended up reviewing it this week, Jeff's viewing of it would always be colored by the fact that this announcement from the president <laughs> happened while yeah, he's easy, watching Easy
2: breezy it. Enola Holmes, you know? <laughs> Dave's like, you know what? That's true. Jeff, it'll have, a dark, it'll have a dark connotation. Let's watch something nice and easy breezy like Dick Johnson <laughs> Dick is Johnson dead. Dick Johnson is dead,
0: you know? Yep, yeah. yeah, death. Well, anyway, so I'm sorry. I, I I'm genuinely sorry for the last two weeks that we have said we're going to review something and we didn't end up reviewing that thing because I I know for a fact people watched Enola Holmes yeah, to prepare yeah, for this yeah. episode. So I apologize. Hey, for Hey, hey,
3: you got to see a fun movie. You know, <laughs> I think when we make a change, it's always for. What will be the more interesting
0: thing to talk about? Yes. and yeah, yeah.
3: If something pops up and you're like,, eh, and ho- yeah, hopefully
0: we, we will it. still talk about it in all homes maybe on what we've been watching at some point. But mm-hmm. anyway, sorry about that. Um a couple couple ways to prevent that from happening in the future. Number one, check the slash from cast Twitter account. I'll usually send out a tweet saying, like what we're actually reviewing that week if it changes. Number two, just don't trust us at all. Like just yeah, don't never,
2: never trust. Don't us. listen
0: to us when I say we're going to review this next week. But number three, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now what the review is next week. So help me, God, nothing is going to deviate us from this path.
2: Which Listen, is next a lot week. can
0: change in seven days.
2: Yeah, yeah. As we've learned. <laughs> you're about you're about to guarantee tenant moves up to, to next week. <laughs> the Christopher Nolan film. Tenet, no, I'm just joking. Um, it,
0: we're going to do Ted Lasso next week, the uh, Apple TV Plus original Yay. series. So
1: all ten light. episodes. Yeah.
0: Stephen Tobolowski, have you uh have you had a chance to check out the Ted Lasso's? Have you seen any Apple TV Plus shows?
1: No. What what is Apple TV? <laughs> it's a good question.
0: It's a good no. question, Stephen. Uh, no, Probably my not, son. Not a good
3: sign for their branding right now, man. No my, <laughs> no, my son,
1: my son set up Apple TV on our our big TV, but I don't know how to turn the big TV on. There's so many TV changers in that room. So you have to turn them on and you have to turn them on in the right order. I end up watching, uh, you know, I barely end up watching Netflix, and that has a button that just says Netflix. So I <laughs> I know how to go there. But what what are some of the good shows on, what was that Apple TV? Uh,
0: well, Ted Lasso, for instance. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Ted Lasso um, is
2: a feel-good show. I, I highly recommend it. If you're looking for something that'll reinforce the goodness in the world... I highly recommend it. I mean, the the new
3: thing from Bill Lawrence, the creator of scrubs and I love whenever he does anything. So yeah, that's an instant watch for me.
0: I just want to point out it was between possessor and Ted Lasso. And it was not between
3: possessor. And yeah,
2: no, we were saying Ted
3: Lasso. Hey, let's talk about something fun. No one was on board.
2: I have come to the conclusion (laughs) that Dave gets some sort of perverse pleasure out of putting me through the worst heartache during COVID. Every week, it is how far down. Oh, Enola Holmes? No, 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 Jeff. Let's watch Dick Johnson is dead. Oh, Enola <laughs> Holmes? No, 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 no. Let's watch the devil all the time, yeah. Jeff. Let's, yeah. uh,
3: now, let's watch the movie about the woman who like impersonates bodies and assassinates people in gruesome ways. That sounds great. Yeah. By David Cronenberg's son.
2: Yeah, the progression that happened, dear listener, is that uh, Dave said, "Hey, hey guys," via uh, text. This was the text. "Hey guys, uh, what about this movie for next week?" And he he texted a picture of the of the, the movie poster, poster, yeah, the most horrific poster. And then Davindra wrote, "You mean this movie?" and quoted a line <laughs> from from someone discussing the movie that said, uh, "Horrific depictions of graphic murder." <laughs>
0: So you're talking about the the uh, Brandon Cronenberg movie, Possessor. Yeah. Stephen
1: Tobolowsky, are you a Cronenberg fan?
0: What do you think you of know, uh, da-
1: David or Brandon Cronenberg's work? Yeah, David, you know, he was the first guy to kind of jump the shark when it came to horror films in that, you, you know, before – you you could you you were not sure you could make it through a Cronenberg film because he did like The Fly, right? He, he right. Yeah. started doing That's things, right. yeah. you know, where and when uh, Jeff Goldberg's penis fell off. That yeah. you know the, those kind of that. moments in the Cronenberg films, but and but he was always uh, looking to push the envelope. What was the last film David Cronenberg did?
0: um did it, he did that one with uh, robert pattinson right yeah the, um, the taxi one yeah uh Cos- but the, co- cosmopolis, cosmopolis yeah. yeah um but it looks like uh the last yeah the last movie he did was map to the star maps to the stars in 2014
3: yes oh i watched that why did, yeah, that, did you I like did it too it was i watched bad. that too yeah. it was not good sorry
1: well well it's you know when you push you push the limit you, you push that kind of boundary as to what you think people will be able to accept. Eventually you're going to get to the place where you have graphic depictions of murder. You're eventually <laughs> going to get there. You're going to get to that spot. So there are the kind of profits in our business like Cronenberg that says, why don't we just jump there now? Yeah. What We know yeah. we're going to end up there. Let's just start that now. I, I'm wondering – has Curan does has he done anything recently? What was the last thing he did with? Uh, that he, was uh, he did Roma. That was the last movie, yeah, right? Since Roma, yeah. Yeah. wow, that was great. So good. Uh, I why, just why are you
0: bringing up Alfonso Cuarón there?
1: Well, he's another guy who pushes the limits. He, he pushes the limits, but he kind of pushes the limits technically in terms of narrative, and and. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw Children of Men, and I I did not care to see it because it was some sort of line in a psalm, so I figured the movie would be terrible, and it turns out to be one of the greatest films ever made. Yes. And I ended up working with Clive Owen, and I happened to tell him that I call myself Clive Owen when I talk to David Chen. (laughs) When I talk to David, I say, this is Clive. And he found that very amusing. And oh we wow! Ta- we that's Clive to- Owen
0: has heard my name,
1: David Chen. Yes, and he heard amazing. your name. He's probably in a chuckled pop- at it. I, I don't <laughs> think that's the part. I don't
2: think that's the part he found amusing, Dave. I just he found point amusing
1: that, out. that I was calling myself Clive <laughs> Owen, and he was calling his people to really look into that. But <laughs> what his lawyers? <laughs> we we got to talk about Children of Men, and we talked about some of the favorite scenes of. And I guess it's you guys have talked about it before. I mean, it's such a great movie, but to talk about pushing the envelope when, when you have that scene. I don't know how long is it? 11 minutes where Clive Owen goes in and saves the baby and comes down the stairway from the house. Right. That incredible mm. scene. I yeah. said, how on earth did you guys shoot that scene? And he said, we rehearsed the scene for a day. We, we rehearsed everything and we rehearsed camera moves. The second day we rehearsed with all the extras and everybody moving. We took kind of experimental shots to see, can we do this? How are we making this transition from this? And the editor played with, you know, how he wanted the lights to look on whatever and cutting in from what to what. And he said, and then we shot everything in one day. You, you know, we, we, we ran through the scene several times because you have to shoot from different. And what pushes the envelope in that element was you end up involving the audience in a completely different way when you use the camera a different way. And that mm-hmm. requires different rehearsal technique. So, you know, what he was, and, and he does the same thing in Roma, where I'm looking at it, I'm going, this had to, had to be rehearsed like a play. So you mm. can use actors that have experience in theater, which, which I bet you, I bet you, Clive has a ton of theater experience, and I bet you, uh, the the people in Roma had theater experience, and that was the doorway that was pushed open in, in those films. So I'm always interested in looking at how those stories are told, and when you have Cronenberg, he was always looking to. Shock the audience in what is something that people haven't seen or didn't dare to see, and uh, that's the doorway. That's the doorway he always bangs on. That doorway scares me. That well, doorway scares me. <laughs> I, I mean, I
0: think after all that, uh, I, you know, my desire for us to review Possessor is even further reinforced, but it's, mm. okay, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, so Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso's working gonna be reviewing the direct next, possessor. next week. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So there's one other thing I want to mention, um, which is that a a lot of news has happened in the last week, gentlemen, a lot of news. Um, Obviously we already referred to the president's medical condition, but also uh, the, the final dominoes kind of fell on this year of uh, movies, right? Because you have all these movie theaters who, which are like wanting to get people back into the movie theater, but they can't do it unless studios give them the movies. Studios don't want to give them the movies until people are actually going to come out and watch them in movie theaters. Um, so uh, a bunch of movies pushed this week. Um, I think we had No Time to Die pushed by the time we recorded last week. Um, I, don't I don't know if so. it did. I no Time to Die, yeah. So No Time to Die uh, got pushed to next year. Dune got pushed to next year. Um, and as a result of those pushes, Batman has been pushed as well. Batman was supposed to come I mean, out in these October. Are not- yeah. these
2: are not small pushes this is a year yeah. right but dune is october of 2021
0: yeah so and and batman used to be october 2021 so it has gotten pushed uh, to 2022 as a result of that move uh and after the bond no time to die move occurred regal was just like oh no we're done um cineworld yeah. cineworld the company that owns regal theaters um uh, they confirmed the temporary shutdown uh, or suspension of their U.S. and U.K. operations. Um, Forty-five thousand employees uh, are going to be impacted, and the company stopped. Uh, stock dropped more than forty percent um, in the United States. Cineworld owns Regal, which is the second largest uh, theater chain in the United States. Uh, you know, there's a Regal near me. I went all the time for like press screenings and stuff like that. It's weird to think that that uh regal may never open again mm-hmm. um but yeah um it's looking real bleak out there and I th- amc is probably going to be next but we'll see we'll see um we'll see. so yeah. it's kind of weird to think about what will happen to these crazy
3: buildings with you know giant theater rooms and giant screens and if there's nobody to run them what do you turn those into you can't just make it into like you know, a, a Walgreens like so many banks turn into, or like a, you know, a <laughs> right. refashioned roller rink or something. It's just these these tributes to culture that we lost. It is going to be crazy
0: to think I, about. I, I, I think once we come out of this thing, you know, which like people are saying, you know, "quote unquote," well into twenty twenty one. I think it's going to be even longer than that. Um, yeah, and I think once once we come out of this thing, the entire business model is going to change. You are going to have maybe like different parties or different groups kind of owning or leasing out these different theaters. Because I think one day we will be able to go back into theaters again. Sure. Uh, and when that happens, there's going to be a business opportunity and like, maybe it's going to be smaller entities versus like two companies owning like the vast majority of screens in the United States, you know, or, uh, or the Disney
3: th- theaters where everything is $50 right.
0: theater yeah. might buy. Disney might buy theater paramount. Might buy, might buy theaters and try to make a custom experience. Um, the the thing that's also interesting is like people, theater's already experimenting with business models. Like there's theaters right now where you can rent them to like play video games and stuff like that, or have a screening party or things like that. You know, it's possible the business model is going to change as well. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to
2: see if this, if this lasts any significant period of time, if people's habits just change, you know, if, if, if that's even something that people who've been trained to watch things at home, even more than we already have, uh, you know, and young people who are watching things on phones and stuff like that. If they are even going to desire to go to a place with a bunch of strangers, if that's right. even going to be something that is, that is, that will bounce back in any significant way.
0: There might be like a generation that grows up, never even knowing what
2: going to movie theater means, right? Or what yeah. that experience is. It, it genuinely hurts my heart that my four-year-old, I could have taken him. I was just waiting. I was just waiting for the right movie and waiting for him just to get a little older. And I could have taken him to a movie. I have friends who have kids the same age as my son, and they already took their kid to the first movie. My son may never get a movie in a movie theater. Uh, I I don't think that's true. I think someday he will, but Mm -hmm. he's certainly not going to get one for quite a while.
3: Right. In the multiplex experience, like that specific thing will disappear even if our house theaters and indie theaters exist. And I think they will. I think we'll have like a come around, like the things that have been dying, like the movie palaces, which I was in New York for 10 years. And over that time, some of the most glorious theaters I've ever seen died off. And they were single screen, beautiful auditoriums, you know, with the velvet curtains and everything. Those things have been dying off. But if the multiplexes go, there's certainly room to like bring those types
1: of things back. I would I would second that. I, I'm wondering the very thing, and the multiplex happened because mm-hmm. why not have six different theaters playing the new uh, Star Wars movie, whatever? Or
3: yeah, yeah,
1: and each with an audience of 120 or maybe 500 here in this theater. Let's go back to the theater that used to hold 1500, two thousand people. Except we'll make it social distance. We'll give tables and chairs and think, make it where we only have 500 people in one of those huge halls. So everyone could be socially distanced and see a movie in the kind of grandeur that films used to be shown in. Maybe that model could work.
0: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what, it's, whatever happens, we're going to see it change dramatically in the days to come, for sure. Uh, you know let saying?
3: me Let me just reference something I'm not sure you guys saw. Did you see the Kanye tweet about how he watches Blade Runner twenty forty nine on repeat? I think while he's backstage on a giant ass LED monitor, like it's it's a fifty foot screen basically, and he just like chills backstage with like you know his crew and just watches that as he preps. I want that. I want that experience. You know.
2: (laughs) I think we all want the Kanye experience. The Kanye experience for everybody. Oh, the Kanye
0: theater. Oh man. I'm just going to say this as well. Uh, you know, I really miss going to movie theater and it's probably going to be a really long time before I'm able mm-hmm. to. And and y- y- on the one hand, people were saying like, oh, it's because of Bond moving to April. Like the theaters just lost hope because there's nothing else going to be coming out the rest of the year. Um, it's true that Bond is kind of the proximate cause that they're holding out for, but really the actual cause is the pandemic, obviously. Right? Yeah. And it's you like- You don't want to be there during the fa- flu season. Exactly. People. The Come fact on. that it was managed so poorly. And, you know, I remember- Four years ago, when Trump was elected, and I had kind of a lot of fears about what might happen in the next mm. four years, but I did not guess that one of them would be we would never, never be able, able to, able to, go to movie, a movie theaters
2: again. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember. Yeah, you would have, been, saying, you would have been laughed at as a crazy person if you had suggested that. <laughs> yeah, because oh, of
0: man. this guy's mismanagement of a future <laughs> pandemic. We're not going to be able to go to movie yeah, theaters. You want to vote all, for Trump,
2: you'll never walk into a movie theater again.
0: <laughs> I also
2: just, just how, remember
0: people
3: saying we were all overreacting when he got elected. It's like, what what could happen, yeah. folks? Like, really?
0: Yeah.
1: Mm, we were underreacting!
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. Uh, we will continue to monitor the situation, you know, but it's not looking... Go ahead, Jeff.
2: One, one, one quick more thing. I, I wonder if you gave a truth serum to the folks at Warner Brothers, if they wished they had just pushed Tenet to 2021 or 2022?
0: It's true. Uh, A lot of people, you know, there's a great article today at Vulture uh, by Mike Sampson about how the situation today is way more bleak than it was when COVID started. Because Tenet did not kind of deliver, right? And so because theaters kind of gave it a go, they opened up, they uh, put in place very rigorous and expensive cleaning procedures and it didn't work. Uh, it's now like they're many of them are closing down, um, or they're having limited hours. Um, so I don't, I don't know, Jeff, but I, I don't know. It would have been bad regardless, I think, right? Like sure. you waited a yeah, couple extra months. Had, it's yeah.
2: I wonder if they, they wish they had been in the, you know, fast nine category of, of just, acting quickly and saying, no, this is a year at least, and we're pushing. And now all these movies pushing a year. I wonder if they wish they had done that and and been able to recoup a little more of that revenue. Because if if this gambit works and there is a time when movie theaters reopen, there's all this stock of these huge movies in 2021 slash 22, you know, Tenet could have just sat on a shelf and waited and and had its day in the sun. And maybe, you know, I'm excited that we get to see it December 15th that's been confirmed so I'm excited to be able to see it in my home now but uh, I wonder if 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 you know they would have liked to have taken that decision back
3: yeah I'm I'm pretty sure the home release of Tenet will just start with you know five minutes of Christopher Nolan just staring at you and just being like (laughs) you did this you did this you killed theaters you didn't go see Tenet now you're watching on your tiny screen at home enjoy
2: It's time for me to thank our sponsor, which is Lightstream. Lightstream can help you erase your credit card bills. Uh, One of the things I'm most happy about with my life these days is that I have zero credit card debt. I pay off my credit cards every single month. And honestly, it does wonders for my well-being. And a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream can help you mark your bills paid in full Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. Quickly roll balances from multiple credit cards into one single monthly loan payment. Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans have rates from just 5.95% APR with auto pay, and there are absolutely no fees, no fees at all. And just for listeners of this show, apply now to get an additional interest rate discount to save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash the word filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash filmcast. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto-pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information
0: all right let's move on to what we've been watching this week um so i want to plug something real quick uh i took jeff canada's advice which is not something i say very often no i had a chance to see see, uh raised by wolves episodes one through three now the this season finale actually just aired but i only watched episodes one through three um and i thought man the show is great
2: I'm yes. really loving
0: it, and I'm um, looking forward to finishing it. So,
2: so the whole like, Jeff was right is the phrase you're looking for? Um, no.
0: Jeff was right. I, the Jeff was right. In, in the same way a stopped clock is cr- right twice a day, you know, Jeff was right. Um, so, so, so right. Very right. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, Raised by Wolves is on HBO Max. Have any of you finished it? Um, Steven, have you heard of this show? Uh, no, I have not heard of this. I think
2: you'd like it. I think you'd like yeah. it. But, um, you're the new release G-
3: series. I have not started it yet, but I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah,
2: Jeff, you you uh, caught up at all at this point? I have not f- seen the finale, but I am uh, I'm still in love with the show. It is extraordinary.
0: Great. Well, Raised by Wolves is available right now on HBO Max. Steven Tobolowski. yes, sir. You've been watching a couple things in the quarantine.
1: Yeah, it, and you know my tastes have become so kind of bizarre in the quarantine. And I'm up early. I'm up at like six in the morning, but I have really fallen in love with two films classic great great films uh Michael Clayton, which I now believe is one of the best films written and directed yep. and acted ever and perfect the movie. deer and the deer Hunt perfect movie, yes, thank you, and the Deer Hunter, which is another extraordinary movie and watching these two films repeatedly is I began to see. Very much that they're very much the same movie. First of all, I want to say a just quick shout out because I know people, and I've run into a lot of people, David, believe it or not, who who want to write movies, who want to work in the film industry, and they listen to this show to to hear little bits and pieces of the inside scoop. I have always heard from various writers and directors really good writers and directors, including Ridley Scott, that the most important thing you could do in a movie is the simple mantra of show, don't tell. And it confuses a lot of writers, and certainly a lot of screenplays. When I've been offered a screenplay, a lot of times people don't know how to do that. Those two films, Michael Clayton and The Deer Hunter. They have very similar structures in which they are able to show and not tell. In Michael Clayton, you take a look at the way the characters are introduced. They are introduced by activity. No discussion, no description, no nothing. You're in the middle of a crisis at the beginning of a film, and you learn through how the different people respond to the crisis, how they act. And in The Deer Hunter, you have... A drama in, let's say, six different acts, giant backdrops, whether it's the steel mill, or a wedding, or the party after a wedding, or Vietnam, or prisoners in Vietnam back home again. You have these enormous backdrops, and in the backdrops, you learn about how the characters are by what the director shows. Like at the wedding... You know all about De Niro's character. You know about his feelings for Meryl Streep in that because it's shown. Nothing is discussed. It, it's, uh, it's just a fraction of a moment. So if you're a writer, watch those two films and you will, you will learn a lot about what that means to show and not tell. And also they're two absolutely stunning films. That you you just wonder if anyone could reach those peaks again. That's what I've been watching.
0: Great, wow. yeah, love love those movies. Um, Michael Clayton and The Deer Hunter. Michael Clayton is one of those movies I love so much. I actually own multiple copies of it on Blu-ray. Like, oh I, yeah, and there's absolutely yeah. no reason. There's no reason. I, I can't watch more than just one in copy, case. At a time. Just in
3: case one gets. Just stolen. in case one breaks. That's right. Yeah, because
0: yeah. I, I I already owned a copy, and then <laughs> I, I went to a gas station. And I saw that they had a $5 Blu-ray disc of Michael Clayton on sale in like a bin uh, next to the, the cash register. And I'm like, I can't leave this here. <laughs> I got to save this. This Michael Clayton. It wasn't even in the original container. You know, it was like in a, in one of those sleeves. I'm like,
1: there's no way I'm leaving this here. Anyway, love that movie. I got to
2: rewatch that movie. Oh, I haven't seen it in so long. So and freaking also,
1: good. And also, if you think about it in, in those films, anyway, George Clooney, is the same kind of character as Robert De Niro the, in the deer hunter that they both are. They're this, both fixtures for law firms, right? They, they, yeah, <laughs> no, just... no, they're both, he, they're both Sideland heroes that are not appreciated for who or what they are. Michael Clayton is called a uh, trash man, a uh, cleanup guy, whatever.
0: Bagman. Bagman.
1: bag, man, bag, man. bag man, Uh, <laughs> De Niro is called crazy like many times in the deer hunter. And again, by showing and telling they both struggle to save people's lives, who they care about, who close to, both of them, both films involved the struggle to save lives and with surprising results in both films.
0: Mm. All right. Well, uh, again, Michael Clayton and the deer hunter, Jeff, you should check it out. Maybe we should make a, future piece of bonus content around it
2: yeah that'd be a really Um, good idea i I, i've seen it but probably not since it was released so i I would i would love to revisit so good
0: so good all right um let's talk about what divinger Hardar has been watching sure
3: i've been checking out uh the new york film festival actually virtually Uh, This is my first time like actually, um, you know, checking out some of the films that are that are at these festivals. They are still happening and you can stream them, you know, on your computer or to your TV. And apparently they had three Steve McQueen movies, three at this festival. That's insane. And also, by the way, five Steve McQueen movies are coming to Amazon later this year. This is this is the world we're living in right now. So. I just found that kind of amazing because I just haven't heard much about it. Uh, This is the Small Axe miniseries he's been working on uh, with the BBC. So they're basically five separate movies um, all about the West Indian community in London. And I checked out Lovers Rock, which is, I believe it was the opening film for the film festival this year. And um, it's astounding. It is 68 minutes long, but it feels like an epic night out because it's uh it's basically it's just a movie about a house party that's all it is but it's also about
2: like like the, the movie best, house party
3: <laughs> almost like the movie house party <laughs> or it's house actually, party too if uh if the movie house party was also like before sunset you <clears> know <throat> because it's about it is about like this brief period of time where people meet each other and they fall in love and lovers rock by the way is like you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a type of reggae music. It's a very romantic type of reggae music. It's so, a Sade
2: song, man. I bet that yes, like Sade song yes. better be in that movie, or I would revolt.
3: Uh, you know, this is pre-pre Shadé. I believe this was like early early eighties, or maybe late seventies, uh. where this was made, um, or where this was set. Um, but yeah, it's about just a group of people going to house party and kind of the stories that happen around that, and it's a movie that's just filled with. So much love and emotion and style, like music just sits at the heart of it. There's a sequence in this movie where everyone's jamming out to a song. I believe it's Silly Game. And, you know, it's the the DJ stops the song and everybody in the crowd just keeps singing it. And it goes on and on for like two or three minutes of just a crowd lifted by this tune that they know in their hearts and they don't even need the music to go along with it. It's a beautiful thing. And I think this movie is, uh, is pretty fantastic. It is, to me, one of the more like loose things that Steve McQueen has done. I really associate him with movies that feel artfully composed, you know, and very, very specifically put together. This movie feels loose and alive, much like a Linklater movie. Like it, it is, it you follow several people, but specifically, you know, two young people who kind of fall in love during this party and... We follow them a bit after, but the the movie is about this house party. It's 68 minutes long, but it just feels like you spend a long night with these people and you really get to know them. I love it so much. Um, I can't wait till everybody sees it. So this is going to be, I think, released on November 27th on Amazon Prime. So you can check it out there. It is rare for me. um, You know, uh, I'm West Indian. My family's West Indian. It is very rare for me to see a movie with people that, you know, talk like the extended members of my family who didn't, you know, who weren't born in America or raised here. And uh, I think also it's really interesting that Steve McQueen is focusing on like, you know, the West Indian community of London, which that's a big population. A lot of people moved there once immigration opened up. And it's not a story we get to see very often, I've also heard really good things about Mangrove, which was also at the New York Film Festival, and uh, Letitia Wright stars in that one. Everybody apparently loves it. So there's a lot to look forward to. Five Steve McQueen movies, everybody. Five. Coming this year. A lot. Amazing.
0: Awesome. Well, the movie is Lover's Rock, and it played at the New York Film Festival, and hopefully it'll be available to view very soon. Thanks, to Vindra, um, Jeff Kanata. what have you watched this week?
2: Well, I was very excited to see the return of one of my favorite hour dramas. Fargo has started its fourth season on FX, which I'm watching on FX on Hulu. And I have been a huge fan of this show the previous three seasons, but it went away for, I think, three years, three years Uh, since uh, there's been a new season of Fargo. Uh, He was doing
3: the uh, the X-Men show.
2: The legion the yeah yeah, yeah legion uh which i did not care for i am a huge no. fan of Noah no no, Hawley. no no yeah I, I i didn't i didn't it didn't get its hooks into me legion i know there are people who absolutely adore that mm. show i'm I, not I one feel of like them.
3: Le- legion by the way is a show where i was like i don't like the way this guy tells stories
2: and i will not <laughs> watch
3: anything else he makes ever again so that wow. is where legion left me yes wow yes.
0: that is harsh that's intense uh, man
3: that's did you watch re- I mean-
0: legion dave I watched the entire first season of Legion and yeah, I didn't keep stick, I didn't stick with the I didn't stick with the show but but in the first <laughs> season of Legion yeah there is I, I think one or two episodes that take place between when a gun is fired and be, before the bullet hits its target like like an entire episode cool takes idea. place it's in that cool time period yeah. yeah it's super cool um so I'm like okay it's a show that I think is more interesting than I actually enjoyed Mm-hmm. Um but what, what, it what like if it... he doubled down on that, Dave?
3: What if he <laughs> just doubling down on cool ideas sprung from his, you know, brain that don't make any sense? Anyway, anyway. He's Jeff, doing do a think?
2: Star Trek movie, everybody. He's doing I hear a that's Star not Trek happening. Movie. That's
3: not happening anymore. Apparently. Oh, really? Everything I mean, I Star Trek in the Tarantino that. one, everything is like not happening.
2: Well,
0: All right, I
3: would so have liked Fargo to have season that. four. Fargo season
2: Fargo four. Fargo season four. Uh, So far, I've only watched two episodes. I think the third one just aired. I haven't seen it yet. But I am so happy the show is back. In contrast to what DaVinci just said, I kind of love how this dude tells stories, especially episode one. The first episode of season four is stunning. It's epic. It is exactly what I love. One of the things that I truly, truly adore is when a filmmaker embraces a, a stylized form of storytelling that kind of embrace embraces myth and legend and abstracts things to a point where the style itself informs the story. Uh, this is the Coen brothers, right? This is the Coen, that's, that's the MO of the Coen brothers, which makes sense as a show sprung from a Coen brothers film. Uh, we are very far away at this point from anything that happened in the Fargo movie But the basic idea of the Fargo series is that every season, it's a new story taking place in generally the same kind of geography of America and always having to do with some sort of criminal underworld element. And this one is more directly about the criminal underworld. Well, I guess previous seasons have been too. But this one starts with an epic expression of the cyclical nature of the power struggles in i think it's kansas city missouri that this takes place and it it does it by repeating the same shot over and over and having different groups uh face off against each other very stylized very abstracted not naturalistic at all uh, it, it does wonderful things while it'll, like pan across a group of of gang members or tufts in in a certain these certain um ethnic groups, really, it's sort of, it's the, it's the Jews and then it's the Italians and then it's the Irish and it's all these, these immigrants entering the country and sort of establishing themselves in the underworld. And the camera will pan across them and their names will come up in script underneath them as they stand in a very, almost like a comic book pose. It's, it's so cool. But the way that that is all expressed and how they all attempt to do the same thing every time, like every new group that enters America does its thing and, and it results in the same bloodshed and the same chaos. And then we kind of land on, uh, the new group, uh, led by Chris Rock and uh, just a stellar cast of, of actors. Um, so I'm, I'm so amped about where this season's going to go. I, I think the show is gorgeous. It's really cool, stylized and awesome. Um, and the first two episodes, the second episode not as great as the first episode, in my opinion, but still really engaging and interesting. And I've been a fan of the show since it started, and I think this this promises to be another excellent season.
0: Well, Jeff, I'm super glad to hear it. Um that's Fargo season four, first two episodes available right now on FX and Hulu. Stephen Topolasski, have you seen uh,
1: any of the the Fargo TV series? Were you a fan of the film? I was a huge fan of the film. I, I saw it. Uh, uh, I, love, I love the film, and I love very much what you're saying about the Coen brothers. Exactly. It's what nailed me to the floor in that film in that it takes a mythic quality of uh, you know Fr- Franny that, that she can't be stopped, the pregnant police yeah. officer that cannot be stopped in her own slow way, and it is really life-destroying death. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's magnificent. It, it's yeah. one of my favorite Coen home Brothers films. I I really haven't had a ton of time to watch anything other than Michael Clayton. And, <laughs> and, yeah, and, no, no but, I hear you. Yeah, I but, you know, I've been I've been spending a lot of time as you know, David. We've been writing and recording and everything the tubo files, So most of my time hasn't been spent bringing in content into my head, but. I also I think was Jeff. Were you talking about that you didn't like, or was it Devendra that about the way people tell a story, yes, the way a director yeah. tells a story? I was thinking I did like it.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. Jeff loves it. Um, I just I have a lot of issues with it. Uh, I started out as a Noah Howley fan, and I I learned his style takes over the narrative in a way that I just, like, I had to walk away at a
1: certain point. And and I find that I am enormously affected by the way a director will tell a story and that, Mm -hmm. you you know, I either love it or I can't stand it. And, you know, an example of a very overt way in telling a story is I've seen Magnolia a couple of times during the pandemic. Oh God. Yes. And, and there is a very, clear way of telling a story there that mm-hmm. i can't think of another film really that tells a story that way that it, it's remarkable and, and absolutely i i still think about of course famous scenes in that film and i laugh and i go like this has to be a profound telling of the story because i can't get it out of my head
2: and, I and, think that movie is another one that that is is in the same vein of like it it relies on magic and mm-hmm. m- myth and and it it dips into uh a surrealism that I love I love when filmmakers are willing to go there and let the style inform the the narrative
1: when I was a little kid and and I don't think I'm it's an old film so people relatively old when I was a little kid gotta take this ice cube out of my mouth that ain't gonna help anything. <laughs> We're, really this, great for audio. This is, yes. this is great Thanks. for audio. Thanks, Thanks Stephen. Yeah, I am Thanks. a professional. So we, <laughs> we had this we had this book called Strange and Amazing Facts that my brother and I used to love to read. And one of the stories we read was about the rainstorm that rained frogs. Hmm. And we read over it over again and again and again. And what happened was a tornado or some tornadic event where there's a strong updraft pulled up swamp water that had tadpole eggs in them. And these eggs were blown up into the cloud, into the updrafts. They hatched. And what rained was thousands and thousands of frogs. And it was a story that it was strange, amazing facts. So we knew it was real. We knew it was true. And then I see Magnolia and the entire story with the lives of all of these people that are all facing death in, in usually in some form of suicide, uh, they're really at the end of their rope. These frogs fall from the heavens, and everything changes. Now, it's one thing to be a director and say, I'm going to tell a story about people, and I'm going to f- have these five threads of stories, very much like the deer hunter, Right. Very much like Michael Clayton. We're going to take five main characters and we're going to see where these threads go. But they're all going to come together at this one point. But it takes real brass balls to say, and the event that's going to bring them all together, Mr. Studio, (laughs) is a rainstorm of bullfrogs.
2: Can you see it?
1: I could see it. I could see the room of faces. No, no, no. This is going to work. I promise you it's going to work. The bullfrogs are going to fall and everybody's life is going to change. And I I can imagine if it was, you know, it, it just is remarkable that that movie was made and the way it was made. And to pay off that enormously long and emotionally powerful movie. With a smile. The entire Mm. movie Mm. is paid off with our protagonist, which is this girl who's a cocaine addict, with another protagonist, which is our poor, simple, hearted policeman. Uh, But she looks at the camera and smiles. And I think it's the only time in the entire film she has a genuine smile. And my heart just melts at that moment and I thought what another bold choice in the way a director tells a story that I cannot imagine anybody else having you know the brass to do that
2: well that that's one of those movies I remember vividly watching and and going this is what I want to do with my life <laughs> you you watch that movie and you go oh my god you can you can just break the rules you can just If, you know, if you're doing it well enough, you can just break the rules. That's incredible. And it, it means something and it matters and it affects me in this profound way. Uh, That's one of those movies, Magnolia, you walk away from and you go, and I, for me, it was like, this is, this is incredible. And I want to do this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It was was a formative experience for me as well, for sure. Mm -hmm. So Anyway um that's magnolia thanks for sharing that steven making me want to watch that movie again oh and also jeff was talking about fargo season four
3: hey everyone if you're like me you're probably feeling a bit stressed and anxious about just everything going on in the world these days one thing that's been helping me through this is feels it's premium cbd that's delivered right to your doorstep It naturally helps to reduce stress and anxiety, uh, helps with sleeplessness. For me, it really helps me when I have trouble sleeping when the news just gets too crazy. It's super easy to take. You just place a few drops under your tongue and you'll feel a difference pretty quickly. And what I like about FEELS is that they give you different choices for dosages. So there's room for you to experiment and figure out what works best. They also offer real human support. So, you know, you can actually talk with a real human on the phone to figure out which dosage is best for you. And, uh, you know, one of the best things too is it it's all natural. There's no high hangover or addiction. So you can join the FEELS community to get FEELS delivered right to your doorstep every month and you'll save money on every order. You can pause or cancel at any time. And I'll just mention something quickly from their website. Representations regarding the efficacy and safety of feels have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Um, it's not intended to diagnose, prevent, or treat any disease. Even without that official label, feels has me feeling my best every day. And it can help you, too. Become a member today by going to Fields.com slash Filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get fifty percent automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Alright, let's
0: get to weekly plugs. We're gonna do weekly plugs. Plugs, plugs, plugs! Welcome to weekly
3: plugs—the part of the show each week where for, we. For, first off, though, Dave, I, I want to know Stephen's reaction to the to the plugs music. <laughs> Maybe the first time you've heard it, right, Stephen?
1: It's it's the first time I've heard it, and I'm wondering if it's going to cost me in my life somewhere further down the line. <laughs> you know, there's a payment Un-doubted for everything, like and <laughs> hearing the, the weekly plug song. Could have cost me something. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's,
0: that's harsh. Uh, I, I think we should play the, the remix for Steven. We got to play the <laughs> okay. remix for him. Okay. okay. You want to hear the remix, Steven? Here comes I'm, the remix. Okay? I would. Thank you. Here comes.
2: Here it comes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: This is weird. I wanted them to be super excited. Rods, reels, and romance. So good. You're texting each other furiously. I love that you did that. Unsolicited. Let me tell you. I think in It takes a lot to get us to furiously text.
2: So good. Unsolicited. all over the place. So good. So
0: good.
3: Let
2: the internet have its way. Plugs.
0: Plugs. Plugs. We might cut it down.
2: That's the best part of that one. We
1: might cut it down
0: was part of the music.
1: Yeah. I love that. I mean, it. When I listen to it, I see myself wearing a velvet jacket with an ascot, wearing a a ship's captain's hat, holding a martini, and dancing. Just dancing in my living room. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, Well, thanks to uh, Noah Ross and Thomas Medina for those two pieces of music. but uh, yeah, Weekly Plugs is a part of the show each week where we plug something that we've made or that someone else has made that we uh, really appreciate it. So my Weekly Plug this week is uh, I had a chance to interview Stephen Tobolowsky, our guest today <laughs> on this podcast, over on my other podcast,
2: Culturally Relevant. Wait Evolving. a minute.
1: I a see little, what's happening here. A little <laughs> yeah. bit yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought um, Stephen just wanted to come hang out with us. Wait a second. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so check that out at culturallyrelevantshow.com and Culturally Relevant, wherever your podcast can be downloaded. If you want to hear more of Stephen's off the cuff, co- I have to say, you know, I've been doing the Tobolowski Files with Stephen for 11 years, and it's quite a different experience to just interview him versus um, <laughs> versus him telling a intricately, meticulously assembled story. Um, so I'd recommend it. Check that out at Relevant And, and I, I,
1: I have to say afterwards, the effect it had on me was, I said to Ann, you know, David Chen is a brilliant interviewer. <laughs> I mean, he really, he can really stir the pot. I realized I confessed things to him I never would have confessed to anyone. <laughs> you know, he just opened me up.
2: <laughs> yeah, but we we have to ask the the question that demands an answer which is why did it take 11 years for you to interview steven
0: <laughs> it's a good it's a good question it's a good question um you know i the the, the true answer is you need to have a certain level of prestige to be on culturally relevant you know uh, what i mean
2: uh, yeah. um, oh, it took a while and,
1: for me to
0: climb up to that uh, Yeah birth. and he just bar- he barely made the cut recently so But I don't like to bring that up, Jeff. So, you know, don't
1: Mm -hmm. shame on you. Shame on you. (laughs)
0: Um, Okay. Stephen Tobolowsky, you want to plug the Tobolowsky Files? You want to tell people what this this podcast is about?
1: Yeah, yeah. The the Tobolowsky Files, actually, David and I have been working on this for months. And uh, we have 16 new shows that we're going to be dropping every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific time. We're going to drop a new episode, so that's four months' worth of new stories of the Tobolowsky Files. These are some of my favorites that we've done. I really want to hit that one. And uh, another thing I want to plug, I really would like to plug, and that is One Day at a Time, a phenomenal series we were supposed to premiere uh, last night on the 5th, and covid Ah, uh, forced the football game to Monday night, and so the Aww. entire run of one day at a time was pushed to the twelfth, the nineteenth, and the twenty-sixth on CBS. The little show that would not die. We did three years on Netflix. We did uh, half a season on Pop TV, which is uh, one of the Viacom networks, and then COVID shut everything down, and CBS has come in. And said, we would like to show one day at a time on our little station. And it it has once again, I asked, has this ever happened in the history of television? And they said, never. That a show that, first of all, was dropped by Netflix after three seasons, three great seasons, by the way, they're beautiful shows. Then the fourth season, the network goes under, not the show. The network goes under because of COVID. And then it's picked up by a uh, regular terrestrial station like CBS. Uh, It's remarkable. But the show is beautiful. It's uh, nine. We're going to do two shows back to back on the 12th, the 19th, and the 26th. So you'll see all six of the shows that we did before COVID shut us down and it's quite a delight so tune in and see it and maybe we'll will be a fixture at CBS next year if we get enough eyeballs these 3 weeks
0: that'll be very exciting um so check out Steven over on the Tobolski Files and on one day at a time on CBS very exciting uh yeah. Hardwar what if, uh, what what's a weekly plug you want to share with us Well, I do want to say it warmed my heart when I saw
3: One Day at a Time listed among all the other CBS shows, uh, because I do CBS All Access. So that is a show that deserves to be, you know, right up there alongside all the CBS greats. So I'm glad it's back, Stephen. Thank you. Check out the new episodes. Uh, My plug. uh, I was actually off of work last week and just as, as off as I could be doing like full time baby stuff at that point. But uh, my colleagues at the Engadget podcast uh, still went on with the show, and they did a great episode about the Pixel 5, Google's new phone, and uh, the Surface Laptop Go, which is this cute little Microsoft laptop that's coming. Uh, My co-host Sherilyn Lowe and uh, UK colleague Matt Smith did that. So it's worth checking out. Uh, It's a really fun show, and uh, it's a good way to catch up on tech news
0: if you don't feel like, you know, checking the blogs every day are you excited by any of the new surface uh devices any of the new surfi any uh, I, uh, like the, the I, surface duo or anything yeah, like that yeah we we talked a bit about the duo the duo was a mess but i
3: i'm getting our review unit back just to like mess around with and I, I i it's a fun thing it's a really fun idea even if the execution is great so far i'm currently testing the laptop go and that is a cute like 12 inch little computer it's it's adorable i really really dig it um, you know, feelings more mixed on the surface. The pro X, which is we're we're getting to tech talk here, but uh, you know, uh, Microsoft is doing this thing where they're trying to put mobile chips in laptops, and yeah. I am not a fan. It has not worked out
1: so well. Uh, Devendra, uh, th- can I ask yes. you a question? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Please. What What is the direction? I see that Apple is releasing a new iPad. Mm -hmm. that says it'll be the next computer what is it that's drawing them to make that the next product they want to drop
3: i think um well the ipad has been like a big thing for them and what's happening is that apple has been positioning the ipad more as like hey this is what you need it rather than like a macbook you know, and they're actually going to be moving over all their all their computers to their own chips next year. So things are going to get really confusing and complicated, but they want the iPad to be like the everyman computer. And I feel like they're getting there. The new iPads look fantastic. So, you know, that's their push. Um, it's not just a tablet. It is like the thing that can be your only computer
0: for a lot of people. The keyboards are great. You know, you could do a lot of work on them. Uh, Steven, we also mentioned the Surface Duo. It's basically... A phone that has two screens, that you you open it up yeah. like a book. It's like a little notepad you, that yeah. has two what screens. Do you, you open what do you think up, of yeah. that, Stephen? Would you like a two-screen phone?
1: This is the—no. Pr- for, 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 no, but the deal <laughs> is people invent these things, and then they don't understand the clothing you need to carry this. Now, <laughs> what kind of pants, what kind of pants am I going to have that I could stick that thing in? Well, it <laughs> folds up. That's the beauty it, of it. it. It folds up. up. Oh. It's, a th-
3: it's a thick boy. It is a thick the, little, little <laughs> bone. But the real yeah, beauty
2: bone. is that thanks to COVID, we don't need <laughs> pants anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. We're in a post pants culture, folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I uh, by the way I have to say that when I uh when I recorded the new episodes of the Topolowski Files with Stephen um we've been working on them for so long now we, the last one we just released was in we recorded it in May Stephen wow um and so it was like a whole different phase in, in of covid May,
3: I was living in New York like <laughs> yeah, my life story. was <laughs> completely different what it's are you talking different phase about It was
0: life back then and you know it was even more hilarious guys okay I actually went back to the previous season of the Tobolaski Files. And I was I just wanted to hear like how we closed off last season. It was episode 84, I think we closed off last season. Yeah. And at the very beginning of that episode, I said, hey, oh man, like, wow, it's been a it's been a crazy season. But um, here's what I want to do. I want to make you understand when you can expect new episodes of the podcast. Steven's going to be working super hard at it. So I gotta imagine it's going to be six from six months from now. Early 2018 at the latest is when we're going to come out with new episodes of the podcast. <laughs> um, so Don't call basi- your shots. Yeah, yeah uh, basically between predicting that we would review Enola Homes and <laughs> predicting that new episodes of the Tobo Files would come out in early 2018, I've been pretty bad at the prognostication. Pretty bad. So yeah, just it like was tough. It's right? it
1: just you know we were so it's busy and there was just so much, so much, w- and and working on a. Sitcoms, sitcoms, you know, like One Day at a Time, working on like the Goldbergs, is not conducive to writing. Because why would you think, David? Why would you think?
0: Because uh, you're saying things that other people wrote all the time?
1: <laughs> well, you're, you're getting at someone all t- else's voice? It's because they always rewrite. And so you spend all of your time using every possible inch of your brain forgetting what you just learned. So you could remember the new stuff they just slid under your door. And uh, it, it happens. I just shot uh, Goldberg's this week. Uh, well, not this. What? Yeah, this week. The last few days. I, <laughs> I did. And it was one of the rare times. I mean, kiss COVID on the cheek for this one. It was one of the rare times that we didn't have continual rewrites, sometimes twice a day. Uh, on these shows. So when you're constantly having to learn and forget lines, it's almost impossible to have the headspace to sit down, wrap your mind around a narrative and write it well. Very difficult. Mm.
2: i just like to say- our stance on the show is is never kiss COVID on the cheek just it's not a, <laughs> not a yeah, good idea pretty,
0: <laughs> a pretty rough metaphor there steven <laughs> yeah yeah not, not not my favorite of your no, no no no
2: <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll we'll cut that out in the edit
2: <laughs> nah,
0: maybe okay jeff canada your weekly plug
2: oh uh listeners to the show know that i do a bunch of things and guess what I'm starting another one. Um, what this week? Yeah, what? I know. It's <laughs> what? I'm I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment. You, you
3: need more uh, things to do, Jeff. Yeah, what? more things to
2: do. Uh, this what? Thursday, if you're listening to this uh, on this Thursday, October seventh, the first episode of a new sh- a new Twitch streamed podcast that I'll be doing called the Fan Controlled Show. This is. Uh, the official podcast of the Fan-Controlled Football League, which is a new football league that will be debuting in February after the NFL uh, concludes. Uh, there are luminaries from across uh, the sports, uh, Marshawn Lynch, Ocho Cinco, Joe Montana, all involved in this. Uh, even Greg Miller from Kind of Funny uh, owns a team. It's a big, complex idea, but basically the, the short version is it's it's like Madden video game, but in real life with real human beings. So the fans, people watching these, people watching these real games of football being played, control everything. They control the what? plays that are called. They, they control the personnel that are on the field. They control who the coach is. They control the name of the team. They control the mascot of the team. They control everything. Literally everything is controlled by the fans. And um, it's going to be a wild ride. They're launching this new thing Um it, it's it's got a lot of really cool people it, instead of having teams that are associated with cities, you know, it's not the San Francisco 49ers or the Dallas Cowboys it's personalities who are the owners of the team. So you have Marshawn Lynch's team. You have uh, the kind of funny team. You have uh, these, these personalities who are um, Quavo owns a team, the rapper. Um, and then they, you know, they will be on our show talking. We'll be, uh, talking about the strategy of of the audience, who they're going to draft, what players should be on the teams, what the names of the teams are. It's going to be a real wild ride. So it starts this Thursday on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash FCF, for fan-controlled football. Uh, We'll be the lead-in to Thursday Night Football. So uh, it starts at at 3 p.m. Pacific time, goes until 4.30, where we hand it off to Rich Eisen and Thursday Night Football.
1: That sounds super like a blast, cool, Jeff. Yeah, it yeah, is cool, awesome. That's yeah. Great. Thanks.
2: I'm excited. It'll be. It's gonna be. A, it's gonna be wacky. I think it's gonna be. I, I just the the audience is gonna control our show too. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be. It's gonna be a. There, wild there ride. gonna
3: be a lot of like teams named Bodie McBoat Bo- Bo- or something. Yeah, but know? that's Bo- like Bodie McBoat. All- yes.
2: On, yeah. the t- on the table right it's we, we've already had people submit you know footbally mcfootball team but the nfl has the washington football team so you can't get any crazier than that you
0: can't get any uh, crazier than that you yep. know yeah. um well, well congrats on the new gig jeff that's awesome um Thanks. and check it out at twitch.tv fcf we also want to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week um sean pie from sunnyvale california michael matthews Kristen R from Long Island City, New York. Thanks so much for your donations. Thanks also to, also to Ryan Blands and Anish Danecula. Danecula? Danecula. Thanks so much for your donations at the rate of a couple bucks a month. If you want to support the slash filmcast by kicking in a few bucks, go to paypal.me filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com click on the slash filmcast tab, use the PayPal links. On the side of the page, never donate if it in any way it causes you any hardship whatsoever. But if you want to throw a couple bucks our way, we'd really appreciate it. And of course, there's an easy way to support us for no money at all. And that's just by going over to our Apple Podcast link and leaving a star rating or a review for us. It would really make a huge difference. So thanks to everyone who donated. Thanks to everyone who left a star review this week. We are very, very grateful.
3: If you own cats, there's probably something you've noticed every summer. They just tend to get really stinky, or at least their litter boxes do. That's why I really enjoy using Pretty Litter. It's cat litter that gets delivered right to your doorstep. Uh, you don't have to go to the pet store anymore to lug back a 10 or 20-pound box, It's very light, Uh, it uses ultra-absorbent crystals to trap odor, and it lasts up to a month. And one of the good things, too, is that it's pretty safe for your cat. There aren't as many irritants as there are in traditional litters. It's very easy to take care of overall, and it's pretty dust-free, too, which I really appreciate. And the really cool thing is that Pretty Litter can also help to check if your cat has an illness. It changes colors if they have a urinary tract infection or kidney issues. That's something normal clay litter can't do. And, you know, you get it all at your door every month. You don't have to go to the store. It's pretty great to me. So save yourself. Make it a no-stink summer with Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code filmcast for 20% off of your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code filmcast for 20% off. Prettylitter.com, promo code filmcast. Let's
0: move on to our review of Dick Johnson is Dead.
2: Just the idea that I might ever lose this man
0: is too much to bear. He's my dad. Let's start walking. Just
1: start walking to me. That's fantastic.
2: I suggested we make a movie about him dying. (laughs) He said yes. She kills me multiple times.
1: Action!
2: The Resurrected dad. Yeah, that's, resurrected that's cool. dad. <laughs> but now it's upon us the beginning of his disappearance. The thing I hate most about my memory loss is that it hurts people's feelings.
3: You know that you woke up in the middle of the night last night. You got fully dressed. Do you remember any of that?
0: No. Yeah. What can we do about
1: that? I don't know. Everybody has to sort of prepare because everybody dies. I love life too much for that.
0: (laughs) That was from the trailer for Dick Johnson is Dead, which is out right now on Netflix. I'll read the plot summary right now from IMDb. A daughter helps her father prepare for the end of his life. This is a Slash Filmcast. We're joined today by actor and writer Stephen Tobolowsky. Stephen... We have a pre-spoiler section and a post-spoiler section. So we're not going to talk about the ending quite yet, but what did you think of Dick Johnson is dead overall
1: as a film? A lot of feelings, David. A lot of feelings. Uh, at first I I felt angry. And <laughs> that, that uh, I
0: had asked you to watch this movie and review n- with us? No. I I felt angry <laughs> and I'll tell you I'll I did. tell
1: you why. <laughs> then I felt that the movie was dangerously misguided. And then mm. at the end of the film, I felt it was powerful and beautiful. And this uh, this is the tracing of my idea. I'm so glad you played that little clip of uh, Kirsten Johnson at the beginning. Her premise of the film that she loves her father so desperately that she cannot imagine living life without him. She cannot imagine. So to counter that, she wants to make a film in which he dies They film him dying several times in several different ways. And the only conclusion I could make at the beginning of this film was that in doing so, she would inure herself to the actual death of her father. That that was the goal. The goal was, I will be able to experience his death in little doses so that when his actual disappearance happens, I will be able to survive this so the film is for her to help her survival yeah. and i'm sitting here watching the film getting angry and i'm thinking that isn't a real that isn't going to happen because when you make a film about someone dying you don't get the experience of that person dying you get the experience of making a film with that person it's a it's an experience of making a film, not an experience of death. And then that led to my second thought, is that what what Kirsten says at the beginning is that the idea of losing Dick Johnson, her father, would be so overwhelming, it would not be bearable. And I have to say, after meeting Dick Johnson in this movie, I could see why she would say that. Yeah. This is an absolutely remarkable man and and the film is worth seeing for how remarkable this person is i began to wonder is the purpose of losing someone that we love so dearly it's going to lead to our grief is this something we want to not have and i felt like it was part of the protective class syndrome of what we call the snowflake society of like, I don't want to feel this powerful emotion, but I was wrong. But I I feel, as I was watching the film, I had these thoughts come together in my head that grief is extraordinarily important. That her premise of making this film to diminish her grief, even though the film couldn't possibly do that and won't do that, is misguided in that grief is a gift to us. It's a gift that tells us how much we valued something. Because, David, I think back at our podcast, uh, the show of my mother, when she passed away, and I was lucky enough to be there the last 24 hours of her life. And that grief has gotten to where I can get through the day, but it hasn't left me. But that grief reminds me every day of how important this person was in my life. I don't want to diminish that grief. And now we get to the last part of my review, and that is the wonder of this film. And that I think this film wasn't, bear me, hear me out on this a little bit. This film was not Kirsten Johnson making a film about her father dying so she could get through it. It was her father, Dick Johnson, agreeing to do this movie so he could be with his daughter as he approaches the end of his life. It was his gift to her. It's his film, not hers. And I watched it. And as we got to the end of the film, I was in tears, which I think is a great testament to the film. I was in tears thinking of this man. And the gift he gave his daughter. Because, David, let me ask you this. Let me open it up to all, all of you guys. What is the one thing we have in common with mice, that we have in common with cats, that we have in, co- in common with tigers? We're all, we're all mammals. Yes. And as Whisk- mammals, what whiskers. do we get? <laughs> as mammals, what do we get? What has nature endowed us with? I'll cut to the chase. Binocular vision. (laughs) I'll tell you, one billion heartbeats. Mm -hmm. As a whole, the mammal gets one billion heartbeats. So if you want to take a lot of coke, a lot of speed, have at it, guys. What you're doing is really shortening your life. You're using up those heartbeats. Dick Johnson dedicates so many of those heartbeats to his daughter. And it I found the notion of it beautiful and crushing, and he is a very special person, and uh, it was good to get to know him. and that's all I'll say about it.
2: S- stephen i I find that beautiful, exquisite, and um, it, you're almost making me cry now i I, I also cried through in the movie, but i um, I wonder if you, in light of that. It still feels a bit like for Kirsten, a bit of a selfish act. Exactly. No, I agree. Yeah. That, because that's it is what... it is a generous, a generous thing that her father does. And she just takes. She just takes. And I I, I, I I had the same experience that you did. And I I I don't think that makes it any better. I I, I kind of it didn't sit well with me because it is an extraordinarily generous thing that he does for her. And she, I I think she realizes it. She seems to say it out loud a number of times in the movie. She says out loud, you know, I, I don't know if I should be doing this or I don't know how much more I can ask of him.
1: Yes. And, and, but it, it felt a little selfish of her. Jeff, I, I felt... Exactly the same way as I was sitting and stewing, watching it, and there was only one line in in the movie that turned me, and it's probably because I was willing to be turned. And that was uh, when they moved to New York, and she says to him, how did you imagine you would spend the last years of your life? As a joke. She's saying, Did you imagine you'd be making a movie and doing this? And he looks at her. And at this point, his uh dementia senility is is coming on. And but there was a bit of a recognition in his eyes. And he says something like, Well, not this. <laughs> and it it made me feel he was granting her permission to use his time this way. But I, I did. I did feel exactly the way you felt. I did. Mm.
0: Let me ask you, Devinder Hardwar, what did you think of Dick Johnson is Dead? I don't think...
3: Uh, you know, You know, Dave, during your wedding, I followed Stephen's speech about you <laughs> <laughs> um, and your wife. It's happening
2: again! It's, it's happening, happening
3: again! One <laughs> yeah. does not... Follow Stephen Tobolowski. One <laughs> okay. does not simply
0: follow Stephen Tobolowsky. <laughs> yes, <laughs> On exactly. A speech. Uh,
3: but yes, everything. I, I think Stephen put it very well. But I, I found this movie to be. Yeah, kind of an infuriating thing to watch at the beginning, because you're like, what are you what are you doing to your father lady? Who is he is he capable of, you know, actually acknowledging what's happening here? I think at the beginning, yes, he like he, he had his his wits about him. But I think towards the end, it, it's sort of like, are you taking advantage of this guy who does, who may not know exactly what's going on or why these things are going on? But I think by the end, you start to realize, like, yes, this is, even even if he's just not fully aware of what's happening, his initial, you know, approval of it, um, his joy for doing something for his daughter, it, it does feel like the ultimate, you know, selfless act. It is him putting it's his quality his,
2: time for them.
3: Yeah, it's quality <laughs> yes. time. This is what his daughter does. His daughter lives in a one bedroom, you know, apartment in New York where he has a giant house outside of Seattle by by one, one of the lakes, it looks like or something. You know, he is downsizing his life to go be near his daughter and his grandkids. And it's just it's a selfless act in a way to to make this movie because he realizes you know, Kristen Johnson, like she, she is a renowned, um, you know, documentarian. She, she shoots for, uh, all sorts of, uh, I believe she shoots for Alex Gibney. She, she shoots she's for in the Criterion you know, collection. Yeah. Yeah, point, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a known person. Um, but this is also what she does. You know, she explores emotion and humanity through her work, through her camera. And I don't know if I were this guy, first of all, I just want to say w- what a mensch. Like just what a, what a <laughs> great guy. I want to be this guy. Like this guy, Yeah. I, you know, I have a two year old, almost two year old now. And I'm like, how, what kind of father should I be? Or should I be aspiring to? And it's like this guy, this guy who is so open hearted. And so, you know, giving to his daughter, um, well also like clearly having like a, a lot of people whose lives he's impacted, uh, in, in a positive way. I want to be this guy. So this movie is making me feel many things. I, I think it is an ultimate tribute. It ends up being a tribute to Dick Johnson. Um, it's a gift from him to his daughter. But hey, guys, like I just mentioned too, um, everybody knows I moved from New York down to Georgia You know, at the end of June. And there were a lot of things going on because of that. Part of that was COVID. Part of it was just... It, New York is not a great place to be with, with a toddler, um, especially even even if we had a decently sized apartment, we still had to share a bedroom with the baby, which is not great, especially once she starts to like get older and needs her own space. So we were looking at Georgia for a while and we were trying to figure out like when should we make this move? Maybe in the next year, maybe in the next few years. Everything started happening. We're like, okay, let's accelerate this. But a big part of this move was also to be closer to my parents, who I've lived apart from you know, for the past 20 years. And this is true for anybody who goes off to college or wherever. There's a point where you step away from the nest and there's a point where you come back. And it was a decided it was a deliberate choice for us to come back to spend time with my parents and for my parents to get to know my daughter, Sophia, you know, at this young, precious age, which if we were in New York, they'd only see her a couple times a year. So I was thinking about all of that. I was thinking about, you know, the time with our parents and our loved ones is precious. And how can we, how can we celebrate that? How can we like, you know, really cherish that. And this move, this movie, it's not just the movie. I think the movie is really about the move for, of Dick Johnson moving from, you know, Seattle to New York, because that is, it's a cross country move. He had to downsize a lot. He had to fit in, into a one bedroom apartment with his daughter And, um, you know, I lived in New York for a long time and you, you do some creative things to start to fit into, you know, New York apartments. It looks like they were in the West village there, uh, like looking at the landmarks and everything. So yeah, those apartments are expensive. They're not very big. So clearly he took like the bedroom and his, you know, Kirsten Johnson was probably sleeping in what was essentially the living room. And convenient enough, it's a great, like, New York thing, too, where the fathers of her children live next door. They're her friends, it looks like. Um, it's, a, it's a great setup because the kids can be in their own space and, you know, you'd have to share the apartment. But that act of him coming over, it, it, this is really a way of documenting him, you know, bringing his – changing his life completely to be near his daughter, you know, during these end days. And that's just something I've been thinking about, given yeah. – given the major change I had to make to for, you know, to, to bring my daughter closer to my family.
0: Such a, such a great point. And also it's, it's, it's very obvious now that you say it, but it didn't really occur to me how big, like the magnitude of the sacrifice. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's kind of wild. Cause he, his office um, overlooks the building I used to work in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it's right next to the Amazon headquarters. Um, and when I went into work, it's like, it's, Within blocks, and you could see in a bunch of shots in the film. Yeah, Um, he he must have been a very, very good psychiatrist (laughs) to be in like a very able to afford that office in that space. Yes, yes. Um, And then, uh, and uh, you know, he has like a really lovely house. It's very pleasant to live in Seattle, guys. It's very Mm -hmm. pleasant. And then, (laughs) and then to move to New York, where you know, when he's stepping out on the street, it's like, okay, be careful, Dad. Don't let a bike hit you. It's yeah. like, oh man, like I. You have to get into the car safely or you will be run over by a truck, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, but great point, Devendra. Great point. Uh, Jeff Kanata, what did you think of Dick Johnson is Dead?
2: Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about Dick Johnson is Dead are best summed up in the form of a limerick.
0: You know, we should maybe just explain briefly to Stephen what's what's happening here.
2: Because, <laughs> oh, oh. yeah, I'm why sure would you,
0: you know, after Stephen's very beautiful, eloquent speech, why would you, yeah. you know, grace us with a limerick instead?
2: Right? Well, I, I have no doubt that Stephen needs no, no explanation, uh, having worked with you for several years at this point. Uh, David uh, runs his podcast like a tyrant. And <laughs> his, he's made certain demands. Stephen knows. Stephen has the marks oh, to show. For I him. have okay. no, d- no yeah. doubt that Stephen knows. Uh, Dave has demanded that uh, every episode have a limerick uh, in it. And so I have graciously stepped up to the plate uh, for fear of his wrath, um, which I'm sure you've experienced on numerous occasions.
1: I'll, me? I'll take your silence. <laughs> no. I, I was just thinking, you know, uh, someone asked me, what's it like working with David Chin? I said, I feel like uh, what, Marilyn Burns running from Leatherface.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. That's been my Thank life you. for so many years. Yeah. Thank you. I, 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 I'm glad you guys the, have a lot in common.
0: Yeah. Glad you have a lot in common. Um, all right, Jeff, hit us with the limerick.
2: It, it is weird that you still wear that mask, Dave. Um <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's the limerick. <laughs> Ready for this one? Uh
0: huh.
2: Hey, Dave. We're all going to die, <laughs> and this film is one woman's goodbye. It's heartbreaking and sweet, but feels incomplete. And its methods left me wondering why.
0: Ooh, that, wow, that, that's a thinker, the thinker, Jeff, enigmatic.
2: I mean, I think it underscores everything that Stephen and Devendra have said so far. I, I think we're all on the same page. That I, I think there is an undeniable core of humanity and beauty in this movie that shines from this man. Right? He is, he is a lovely human, and I think if I had to quantify what for me makes him such a Uh, a special kind of inspirational figure to spend some time with while watching this movie. It's that he's constantly grateful. He constantly expresses gratitude for someone who has every reason to complain, every reason to complain. He had, he was born with, uh, with a, you know, toes that he's been embarrassed about his entire life and uh, had, had issues with his entire life. He, he lost his wife in a very tragic way uh he's he's been through some horrible horrible things and now his own life uh he keeps being reminded is coming to a close and uh in a a way that is pretty pretty uh jarring uh and yet there is no point in this movie where he ever i mean there's one moment where he complains and that's because his daughter is putting him through a pretty horrible thing in the cold of new york city streets you know he's like splattering him with blood on the cold new york city streets the only time he ever, and even then he's just like, you know, this is kind of bad. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, uh, the, the, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing to, to spend some time with him, to see this family. It's, it's heart wrenching, uh, to come to terms with this idea of memory loss. There is a brief section where we see video of his wife who suffered from Alzheimer's. That I, I mean that moment I had to turn away from the screen. I was so devastated by it. Um and so the movie has these powerful, heart wrenching this spine of, of of real beauty and and heartbreak. But I also I kind of feel like there's a half an hour, at least of this movie that just felt like spinning its wheels and, and filler and this kind of self-indulgent flights of fancy that didn't, didn't add anything to it. I, I, I understand and agree with what Steven said about it being an exercise for the filmmaker to try to deal with her own impending grief. Uh, but I don't understand its function to the viewer, right? I, it, it didn't serve me any any as the viewer and I, I just i didn't get much out of these constant you know sketches and mock-ups of different ways that he might die and I don't know it, it it didn't it didn't make me look death in the face any more than just having a conversation with this man did right it didn't it didn't work functionally for me mm. um and you know I've brought up on the show before, this book, uh, The Denial of Death by uh, Ern- Ernest Becker. Um, it's a book that really affected me. Um, and I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, part of what it is to be human is to just deny the fact that we're all going to die. And this movie is about the fact that we're all going to die. We are all going to die. It's hard especially right now at with the world as dark and depressing as it, as it seems to be all the time to watch a movie where you're reminded of that, but seeing it through the lens of this man who seems to have gratitude all the time is a reminder that that can be a beautiful thing too. Right. And and I think Steven spoke to it so eloquently, this Uh, idea of grief.
1: Let me me ask you this because I, I, I got the feeling watching the movie that it's a little like they asked the fellow, how do you carve an elephant? I take a block of stone and cut out everything that doesn't look like an elephant. Yeah. Right. I got the feeling that the film started to be one thing. Yeah. That she was going to do like all these Mm. death kind of things. And then we jump in time and he began to lose his memory and she, Probably had already filmed some of the fantasy sequence based on her beginning idea, but then it became a different film about dementia and all of that. And did you get the idea that there was a shift in the narrative, you know, a few, you know, a third of the way through the movie or half of the way Mm -hmm. through the movie? I
2: I think that's probably, I I didn't think of it in those terms until you just said it, but that sounds that sounds like a good reading of, of the movie. And I'm just much more interested in what that second movie is. Yeah. Right? I yeah, think yeah. that second movie is a more honest, beautiful sort of simple. I mean, th- the scene where he goes and finds his like high school fling is to me s- more powerful than any of those flights yeah. of fancy mm-hmm. sequences. It's so much, it, it says everything that those want to say in a more real human way. And, and, I'm not, you know, I'm not opposed to artistic interpretation or, or that kind of abstraction. I just got done <laughs> in the previous segment going on and on about how I love abstraction and, and magical thinking and all that stuff. It, for, for this movie, it just, as a documentary, I just felt like, I just want to spend more time with this guy and kind of see how he ticks and, and live in the truth of it rather than all of the, all of the putting on of things, you know? Yes.
0: Let me uh, say a couple things, and then I want to get the spoilers on this movie, but first of all, I just want to say, you know, uh, guys, we've been making this podcast together for many years, and um, there's times when it's easier than other times, um, and times when it's challenging, but I just want to say, thanks for being game for watching this movie, (laughs) because, you know, it's not a slam dunk that during a pandemic, uh, you know, I, I think it's certainly an interesting movie. We're having an interesting mm-hmm. conversation about it, but it's like, obviously well, very depressing. Especially after
3: some of the uh, the other movies we, we yes. got away and from. Then,
2: I think that's then the, the dude thing. the dude texts us and goes, <laughs> let's watch this next. Let's watch Possessor. <laughs> I was like, you have got to be kidding me, David.
0: Anyway, uh, I so I actually kind of agree with Jeff on this one, which is that... I don't know if you guys had a chance to see Kirsten Johnson's last movie camera person. I think it was her last movie, Um, but uh, that's the movie that's in the criterion collection. And it's basically like a a bunch of um, leftover footage from like the other things that she shot um, that have been assembled Mm -hmm. into the form of a movie. Um, And uh, yeah, here, like I'll just read the the plots. Kirsten Johnson reaches into the vast trove of footage she has shot over decades around the world. What emerges is a visually bold memoir and a revelatory interrogation of the power of the camera. And with that movie and this movie, she's obviously super talented as a uh, cinematographer and as a documentarian, but I just found kind of the gimmicks of both that movie and this movie um, to be uh too distracting for me to fully embrace the film itself, I, and I agree with you. Like the I, I don't like the 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 stuff about her father's condition deteriorating. Um, was very fascinating and thought provoking, and it's something that I think about quite often. Which is, you know, I read this article a while ago that really made an impression about uh, on me about this woman who um knew that she had dementia. And she didn't want her condition to kind of deteriorate to the point where, you know, some people who have dementia deteriorate to. And so she needed to like end her own life. Like that's what she had decided for herself. And that this was like an extremely difficult thing to know precisely what the right moment to do that is. And uh, this is kind of a movie that like, because they talk about it a little bit in this movie but it's like it's kind of a movie that makes me reconsider uh, or consider you know what i want the end of my life to look like um and so i found it very thought-provoking and then all that other stuff about like the fantasy heaven and the you know it's it's decent like filler like transitional material um but i felt it was it didn't add very much and um occasionally was quite distracting so, I, I,
1: I felt like yeah. it was almost a film school exercise as to mm. what what I could do in I have the studio I have the lights for a weekend let's do this and the the thing that bothered me about that in the long run and and I do feel like it's something that she shot early on in the process before the narrative really took hold what bothered me in the big picture was she wanted to show a kind of what she viewed was a Bible storybook version of miracles. And that is where a friend of hers, I guess, looked hippie enough to look like Jesus, you know, cast his hands and suddenly (laughs) her father's feet are perfect. The feet that bothered him so much. Now he has perfect toes and all of this. But in all of that effort of doing it, she misses the real miracle that there was a real miracle and that is the connection that was created through her gesture by the love of her father to create a lasting and it will be a lasting tribute to her efforts to be close to him and his efforts to be close to her it will be miraculous and she'll and she'll appreciate it later but in putting all the you know, the, the, the storybook kind of miracles, which says tongue in cheek, oh, I don't really believe in miracles. This is fairy tales for silly people. But the truth of the matter is we miss the miracles that go around us all the time because we're so damn cynical. And I thought there was something cynical of displaying miracles that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think is a good, well good point there, yeah. All right, Um. right, let's get the spoilers for this movie, talk about uh, the ending and a couple other things.
2: Now you're looking for the secret. You're to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're
0: not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out.
2: Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. i want to tell you my secret. Now. You
1: want to be fooled?
0: Let's talk about the ending. Um. So,
3: yeah, the title is a lie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what what'd you say, Divendra?
3: The title is a lie. How? Oh, the title is a lie.
2: By the way, there's a much better title just sitting there. You know how I am about <laughs> titles. The guy's yeah. name is C. Dick Johnson, right? Yeah, his first initial is C. C. Dick Johnson. Die. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. so much better. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty rough. <laughs> it's better. Jeff. Pretty rough. It's better.
0: Uh, I, I feel so. Stephen, you're you're not aware of this, but uh, weeks ago on the Slash Filmcast, I told Jeff man, I would love to have a funeral for myself before I actually died. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, Jeff was like, that's a terrible idea. People yes, won't react yes. honestly. It, w- it will be complete sh- Travis mockery. Your life is a lie, David Chen. Uh, everything you do is fake. You're such a phony. He really went on for mm-hmm. quite some time, actually, now that mm-hmm. I think of it. But um, Jeff, I feel like this movie is a repudiation of that. But you nope. know, I don't, I'm guessing you Not don't
3: agree. All.
2: Um, (laughs) I don't agree. No, I do not, but I feel very bad for that man's best friend, but yes.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Did
3: anybody tell him? (laughs) I think
0: Uh, think he knew. I think he knew. Steven, what do you think about the idea
1: of having a funeral for you if you're still alive? Uh, When I saw that, I kept thinking of, uh, God, the movie that I cannot watch. I mean, I think it's a good movie, is Fault in Their Stars. Uh Uh-huh. You remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, help me, please. Uh, (laughs) you know, that that movie will tear you to into so many pieces and you go like, well, what's worse than one young person dying before their time of cancer, having twelve people individually die along the way. And in that film, they have a funeral for a friend of theirs to, to where he could witness it and And be a part of it. And a a friend of mine was, uh, a a very good friend of mine, was uh, dying of AIDS. And he asked me if I wanted to come to his funeral. He wanted to see his funeral of doing it. But it was in New York, and I was working in Los Angeles, so I couldn't. So I know things like that happen. Uh, But I was surprised. I was surprised that it wasn't real because everything was kind of done by the filmmaker to imply this time we ain't kidding. So uh you know, fool me once, shame on me. <laughs> fool, me. <laughs> <laughs> fool me twice, shame on you. Yeah. Uh, but but well, uh, I was I, I speaking felt the minister, of the con- Yeah, yeah the ahead. minister yeah. was very moving. The minister was insanely moving during that funeral. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I thought the woman that stood and spoke, uh, she seemed very authentic. I, I was impressed. I-, I was, I thought it was a real funeral. In fact, as I was sitting there, I was like, "See, Dave, this is exactly what you don't get when it's a fake." <laughs> oh no!
0: <laughs> and then um, hoisted by your own petard, Jeff.
1: Yeah, yeah. What
0: did you What did you make of this this whole final shot where she's recording this voiceover in her closet? And then she kind of like opens the door and her dad's there, alive. Like it's,
2: it's I thought kind that of a, was a really powerful shot, yeah, but then the yeah. movie ends with him not dead, right? The movie ends he's not dead. Right? Yeah, because it's well, the, we know the, with last, the, the last the last title card. Yeah. The title card says his name and then an open ended lifespan. So it, yeah.
3: I mean that's <laughs> the that's the gotcha shot, you know.
2: Um Because my interpretation of that of that shot with the with the closet was how powerful it was that she was recording this before he was dead. Mm -hmm. The, The lament the lament of, you know, taking the narrative position of saying what she would say after he's dead and then opening the door and going, oh, I still have time with him now. But then that to me was completely undercut by the fact that the movie says he didn't die at all. You know, yep. I mean, I'm yep. not I'm not mad that a guy's not dead. I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> it seems like a cheap... won't
3: be happy till he's in the ground. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow,
2: Jeff. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just saying, I I think that's why the title would be Put better him in if, the it body was, bag. if it was see <laughs> Dick Johnson die is a bet is a better title because he isn't dead. He You do see him die, but he isn't dead. I think it's a better title. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I thought that that flourish was undercut by the fact that, like, it w- she wasn't purposefully recording that before he was dead. I mean, I guess she was, but he also just like the whole premise is a lie. Like the whole premise is a is a bit of a yeah premature. I,
0: I, I do think there's just meta. There's this meta con- like the uh, camera person and this movie. I think both comment on the concept of filmmaking right yeah and um i I think she's showing you all this stuff to con to comment on like hey there's kind of this artifice but also that like that that the act of creation you know there's a speech that leonardo dicaprio gives in inception about how like your brain like creates um at the same time as it's experiencing when you're dreaming Mm -hmm. right and Mm it it almost feels like something similar to that where like Uh, The act of filmmaking is kind of like she's she's in a closet narrating these thoughts that she she might have had them in some form, but they don't really become crystallized until you're actually making it into a film. And it's almost like this idea of, like, I'm being super meta here, but they this idea that, like, the the medium becomes the message in some way, you know? Anyway, that's Yeah, but, that's kind uh, of, I yeah. mean,
2: she literally shows us that very manipulative scene in the ambulance. She starts it with a black screen yeah. and the date. You that's know, pretty, th- there's that's no- pretty infuriating. <laughs> It is. Yeah. it is. It is. It's, it's, it's a thing that happened.
3: But yeah, it's definitely yeah. manipulative. Yeah. It's an
2: absolutely manipulated moment. There's no ambiguity of what that is intended to imply, right? Mm-hmm. So she she doesn't earn that. It, it, she just manipulates you into thinking he's dead, right? It's I don't no, know.
3: But, like by the end, I, I do think like this movie as an exploration of grief and as somebody who clearly communicates in many ways through her camera work, you know, and through her filmmaking. I don't know. I didn't feel angry about it. I felt like, oh, well, I am so glad he was alive to see her finish this, you know? And I hope he he got to see the final movie and everything because that's like, that's a big thing. I, this movie would land differently, certainly if he had died before all this. It, it would be a completely different project, but he is still dying, you know? He's still a man facing... Um, dementia and memory loss and that's something she's going to be living with you know until he he actually passes so it doesn't devalue this movie for me that he's not actually dead yet
0: I will point out a couple more things I don't want to t- toss to Steven to, t- to take us out here but um, I one of the most powerful quotes in the movie for me is she says quote it would be so easy if loving only gave us the beautiful but what loving demands is that we face the fear of losing each other mm-hmm. that when it gets messy we hold each other close and when we can we defiantly celebrate our brief moments of joy, end quote. Yeah. And um, at its best, at its best, the movie kind of reminds me of that, right? Mm-hmm. It, it brings that out. And uh, for that, I'm grateful. So overall, I still I still ended up liking the movie.
2: Can I um, can I say one more thing before you yeah. pass it to Steven? Go ahead. Uh, just one quick moment I wanted to highlight that was very powerful to me, because it was real, uh, is we're watching that cake scene and then right at the end, it says, in loving memory of this woman. Yeah. And you just go, yes. oh, death is, death is everywhere in this. You know, it's like, it's, it's, just, it's hovering over everything. So.
0: The, the other thing I want to mention, you guys, I, I love the dialogue you had about this, uh, you know, Stephen, your opening there um, about this movie. And it reminded me a lot of The Giving Tree, you know, the Shel Silverstein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And The Giving Tree is a metaphor for parenting, right? If you haven't read the book, it's about this tree and the tree loves a boy, and every day the boy comes and like uses the tree in some way, and eventually like the boy like uses up every aspect of the tree, like all the branches, all the fruit, yeah. all and then the end of the uh the end of the book is the tree is like completely depleted, has nothing else left, no branches, no tree, no everything's gone, and um the boy has become an old man and he says I don't need very much now, said the boy, just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. An old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did, and the tree was happy. And it's a metaphor for parenting and how like, you basically give everything you have until the very end. And uh, that's kind of what this movie is. It's a depiction of this father giving everything he can until the very end. So... Stephen, closing thoughts on the movie, the ending, anything
1: else? Yeah, closing thoughts. I just, you know, we just went through our high holy days in Judaism, uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I open up my prayer book here. And here is uh, a kind of meditation on a thought that's in the service. And that is in the Bible, God is described as remembering. Far more often than our humans, memory is primarily a divine quality, representing God's ability to overcome the limitations of a particular time and to see the part of one segment as a part of a far greater whole. When we humans remember, we are imitating God, overcoming our own limits and in a godlike fashion, identifying with the breadth of history. That is part of the miracle that Kirsten was playing with, the idea she did not know that she was actively taking part in what really could be considered a divine ability, and that is to help remember certain events. Even with the silliness of him dying many times, that we are part of a greater whole, and By remembering, we can overcome the limitations of a particular time. When I see this film, I see Dick Johnson as that man who married that woman. And I see him before he was forgetting that it was three in the morning and he had patience in there. I see him as such a great father that it would prompt his daughter to say, I'm going to make a damn movie of this guy. And so I think there was something quite accidentally divine about this, uh, that I found touching.
0: Awesome. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for sharing, um, your thoughts on the movie with us. It's been very, uh, moving and emotional for me to hear you guys talk about it. I have to say, um, be sure to check out Stephen at, uh, the Tobolowski Files podcast and also on One Day at a Time uh, and also find more episodes of this podcast at slash filmcast.com. Email us at slash at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber and filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel. And also our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross and Thomas Medina. Next week. So help me. We will be reviewing Ted Lasso. N- yeah. n- we, n- nothing, we will make everybody watch 10 episodes neither, of Ted
3: Lasso and change our minds at the neither last Neither
0: rain nor shine shall stop us from watching Ted Lasso. If, if we don't review Ted Lasso next week, I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> really is where we're at. Okay?
3: Neither rain Ted nor Lasso's- shine nor COVID-19 will stop you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ted Lasso is... Well, don't go that far, David, but Ted Lasso is the review for next week's episode of the podcast. Until then... Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week on the Slash. We
2: watch the movies.